The Courage to Lead, episode 175. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having an exceptional week. I'm having a great week, and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today. Please help me welcome Carol Marzouk. Carol Marzouk is the executive lion tamer. Consider this, when professionals or executives throw shares or cause conflicts, when the senior leadership team needs to pull together, or when your clients work with people they cannot stand, you call Carol. She can tame those lions and their pride. Carol Marzouk is a speaker and coach. She is the CEO and chief lion tamer at Leadership and Soul. Carol says it is possible to transform behavior in the workplace, having worked more than two decades for large corporations, observing and feeling the conflicts and toxicity that destroys people and companies. Carol became a behavior strategist and workplace relationships expert to inspire leaders and teams to positively impact the bottom line while retaining their soul and integrity. Truth is you can get your time, peace and sanity back all while staying on top of your game and growing your business by 25 to 30% in a year without investing in any expensive marketing tactics, buying new leads, or hiring new salespeople. Carol, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Harlan. Oh, this is awesome. I've been looking forward to this conversation. <laughs> um, first of all, you are bilingual in Spanish, correct? Yes, I was born in Mexico City. Excellent. Very cool. I am uh, conversational at best in English, so we'll just carry on in English <laughs> if that's okay. Absolutely. Um, so in, in your bio, you say when executives throw chairs. Is there, was that an actual event? Did you actually have to deal with the company? I did. I did. It was a litigator who um, didn't want to work with me because he felt that he wasn't the one that needed help, that it was really everybody else in the firm that needed the help because he brought in all the money. He was the rainmaker. And so then about a month later, he ended up getting so angry. Um, And you know, when, when you get angry, your blood goes to your big muscles. And so he got unusually strong and he picked up a conference room chair, which are heavy. And he threw it across and and grazed the shoulder of an associate. So yes. And then, and then of course he wanted to, to work with me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As the lawsuits are being filed. Okay. That's right. That's right. Get that the I lawsuit out of there. Yes. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I had one instructor in college that came in carrying a big stack of books and he put them down on the desk very abruptly slammed him on the desk. He muttered some things to himself. Then he picked up a book and threw it towards the back of the room and hit the back wall. Half the students got up and left. And he stopped and he looked around and goes, good, it always works. He goes, I like to keep my classes small. (laughs) And then he went on teaching. Oh, wow. Okay, that's good. Wow. All right, I want to come back and talk about all this stuff, how you got your start and uh, how you got to where you are now and who you work with and how you help them. Yes. But before we get started, I have 10 questions. These are questions Ooh. that I ask every one of my guests. Uh, questions made famous on the TV show Inside the Actor's Studio, where the host James Lipton asks these same questions of his um, Hollywood guests from TV, film, and stage. And okay. I figure if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. So <laughs> if you're ready, I have 10 questions for you. I'm ready, love. I'm ready. All right. Question number one, what is your favorite word? My favorite word, I would have to say it's the word I say the most, which is love. <laughs> How are you, love? 
much love <laughs> all the time addressing that's, everybody with that no that's great that's what we need more of in the world right yes all right what is your least favorite word my least favorite word the one that gives me kind of cringe worthy <laughs> feelings is toxicity because i always feel like it's a sneeze that comes out and, and you know kind of invades your space and the worst part about it is that you don't really see it coming and you don't know that it hit you. <laughs> but you know what it does. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Okay. What turns you on? What turns me on are other people that are on. They're, that their energy is good and it's pure and it's um, it, it, it's like a well-being. I want, I, I, I'm conspiring for you energy that, you know, it just brings people to you. It's like Tigger energy, but <laughs> it, it's not right. It, versus Eeyore energy. Yes. That turns me on. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. What turns you off? Ah, what turns me off? I think people not owning their stuff, um, you know, and that, I say stuff because I don't want to cuss on your show, <laughs> but um, I think it's that, you know, it's the inability to be authentic and vulnerable enough to say, oh God, I totally messed up here. Um, can I, can I try that over? Very cool. What sound or noise do you love? Oh, um, the sound of my husband coming up the stairs. Nice. What sound or noise do you hate? Um, <laughs> that, yeah, that resignation kind of, yes, uh, yes, yes. It's that uh, I'm done. I'm giving up, you know, that, that kind of, you know, I'm so bothered kind yeah. of noise. No, we just had a friend text my wife that said, it's one of those deep sigh kind of days. Yes. Oh, yes. That's bad. Yeah. All right. Question seven, what is your favorite curse word? Chingadera. <laughs> we will leave that there. Okay. Um, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? You know, I've always thought about uh, being an attorney, uh, a litigator, somebody who helps, you know, with the conflict, but also can, can help uh, people see the truth and, and litigate towards that truth. Nice. Um, so yeah, lawyer. Very cool. Can you throw chairs? Are you, <laughs> you know, I haven't tried. <laughs> I think that's a, a class they should teach. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, what profession would you not like to do? Oh, um, the people that go into, underneath the uh the streets i don't know you know you know those there there used to be a show where it's like jobs that are that people don't Dirty know jobs. About. yeah yes oh, and they yeah. they have to go underneath and there's like all these rats and it's really it's like a dungeony kind of a place with like all this gross water and rats going mm -hmm. all over the place I, I, whatever that is that's <laughs> not what i would want to do <laughs> All right. Awesome. All right. Final question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? You have helped more people than I anticipated that you would. Awesome. Very cool. Good job. All right. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about how you got your start, okay. who you work with, how you help them. 
Um, talk about some of the things you've seen and how you've helped these different companies, some examples. We'll talk uh, at some point on courage and leadership and all kinds of other fun stuff. Okay. I love it. Cool. All right. Listeners, we'll be talking about all of that and more right after this. So stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And I'm back with my guest, Carol Marzu. Carol, thanks again for agreeing to be on the podcast. Now, we met through uh, ProVisors, right? Yes, yes, yes. Such how a long great have you been? Network. It is a great network. How long have you been with ProVisors? About four years now. Nice. And yeah. it has helped your business. So much, so nice. much. I, I have to tell you, Mark Hankin brought me in. Uh, he is my IP guru for all of my clients and, and for me. And he helped me. I, I'm kicking and screaming, I might add, because I'm not a networker. I, I, you know, I thought it was you have to sell yourself. And that's not what I'm about. But it, I was wrong. He taught me better than that. Absolutely. Afterwards. No, it's like, like everything, it's building those relationships, mm-hmm. you know, to where people go, you know what, we just talked about this the other day, let me call Carol. Yeah. Yes, yes. And it's really, he told me also that it's just about giving. And I was doing that already to my clients. So it's just having a better network and a bigger network of people that are really good at what they do. Um, and being able to give that to your clients. And so when I, when he told me that, that's when I said, okay, I, I can do this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Very cool. So tell me about how you got your start. Tell me about your degrees and how that prepared you for where you're, what you're doing now. Well, when I was younger, you know, I, I was born in Mexico City, as you, I think you mentioned. And um, I, my family was not so much about higher education because the value system was really more, and it's not wrong. It's just that it was different, but it's more around getting married and, um, and you know, creating a life with your family and being there for your husband, et cetera. So that was the primary goal. Um, however, I grew up here. I mean, I came here when I was six, seven years old. And so I saw very different values and grew up around people that um, wanted different things. And part of that was having a career. So um, it's a more convoluted answer to your question. But the way I got my start was really understanding that I, I loved uh, helping people. And because my family was so interesting, and my sisters are so interesting, there's five of us. And, um, and there were times when they tried to kill me and throw me out of the balcony um, to see if, you know, the stroller would fly and, and things like that. And so <laughs> growing up, it was always just trying to manage that conflict, mitigate that conflict. And I got really good at um, not only surviving, but also helping everybody kind of come to uh, a solution and seeing other people's points of view. And then also managing my parents um, that were from the Middle East um, and, Italy, you know, and there was just so much going on in my life and growing up that I felt like I had a PhD in this by seven years old. <laughs> just, 
So I knew I wanted to be a family therapist and I went um, to UCLA unbeknownst to my parents. They, they didn't know that I was going to college. Um, and I studied psychology and communications there. And when they found out two years later that I was going to UCLA, um, they were very upset and nobody talked to me for about six months. <laughs> wow. um, but yeah, that's how I got my start. It's because I, it's just come so natural to me to want to resolve conflict and to get people to feel the joy that there is to feel in their lives and not be miserable every day going to work. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That is awesome. So UCLA, so you've got your bachelor's in science and psychology, communications. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then Cornell University. Is that a postgraduate um, diploma? Yes, that's, that yes, that's a okay. management. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cool. management programs. And, you know, I, I keep having to level up because there's always so much more to learn. <laughs> And I want to bring oh, yeah. my clients the latest, you know, the latest, right? Sure. So I always have to keep growing. Absolutely. And I, you know, I think that's way that's kind of the way with everybody, but especially when it comes to dealing with human beings, yes. we're evolving, not necessarily always in the best ways possible, but <laughs> the mind is one of those unexplored areas. And there's so many things that make us do things. And it's like, how did that even come to your mind, you know, why did you do what you do? I think yes. those questions will always be there. Yes. Um, Fascinating. You say in the, in the uh, I think it was on your website or your LinkedIn profile, leadership mindset strategist. Is that what leaders are struggling with? The leaders you work with? Is it a mindset type thing? Or is, I mean, among everything else they're dealing with, is it mindset really that they're struggling with? So part of it, I think is mindset. And that comes from their belief system. I think everything stems from our belief systems and those belief systems get cemented in there many times when we are young by, you know, where we grew up, how we grew up, our parents, our teachers, our friends, and we figure out how we fit into this world and, um, and what's okay, what's not okay, what you should believe in, what you shouldn't believe in, right, and how you should behave. And I think a lot of my leaders, my CEOs, my surgeons, my litigators, um, they, what they struggle with is that the behaviors that got them to the dance is not keeping them at the dance anymore. And what, what is, was tolerated is not tolerated anymore. And so it's that neuropsychology, right? It's the neural pathways that have been created um, in their brain that have disallowed them from behaving differently in a way that serves them and their companies better. And so, yeah, if we had to sum it up, I would say mindset caused by the belief systems. Wow. Yeah, things are definitely changing. And we're used to be, I used to work at Lockheed Aircraft out in California years and years and years and years ago. And uh, seeing these managers, the way that they would treat their employees, the way they would treat each other, you wouldn't stand for that now. And I think the, the virtual a work environment now has made that um, that lack of tolerance even greater, right? I don't need to put up with this anymore. I can I can close down. I can take another job somewhere. I yes. mean, in a heartbeat, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, the stories the stories we could tell. <laughs> yes, yeah, um, it it opened up a lot of possibilities. Absolutely. And realized they weren't as interdependent on their employer as they used to be. Yeah. And that there was a possibly different way of life. And I think the the information we have now, you know, when I years ago again working at Lockheed, you didn't know. I mean, there was the employer of the area. Almost everybody in the area worked at Lockheed Aircraft. 
um, you didn't know what else was outside. Now you get on your phone, you can see what somebody else is getting. Oh, I love my company. It's like, I want to go work there. And you can just take off and go. That's a great point, Harlan. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, we have all the information and we're talking to our peers and, you know, to, to people outside all the time, which you're right before it used to be, we come into a company and we pretty much stay there for 30, 40 years. Yeah. Yeah. Scary. All right. So on your website, you say that 75% of people are voluntarily leaving their jobs. And we know it's not that they're quitting their job because they're probably going to one of those other employees to do the exact same thing they were doing. Mm -hmm. They're leaving either their boss or that toxic culture, right? Yes, yes. And you had mentioned, uh, maybe it was a different conversation. You had mentioned that the great resignation is not really about what a lot of people think it is. And I think you hit the nail on the head. People are not resigning because of some, you know, nebulous, you know, happening and the pandemic and all of these things. It's, they're they're resigning because they have options now. And those options do not include being mistreated or being misaligned or, you know, not being respected in some way. And the sticky thing about this is, Harlan, that everyone sees respect differently. And so what might be respect to me might be different than what is respect to somebody else. And, you know, talking about curse words that you asked me, right? <laughs> I didn't use, I didn't cuss until I had a client that cusses all the time, their whole company. I mean, that's part of their motto, in fact, is, is a cuss word. And, and I started to realize it felt, <laughs> it felt really good <laughs> to cuss. Um, but my dad would just be so upset at me if he, if he knew that I was cussing so much. But anyways, the, the point is that, you know, you've got to know your audience. You've got to know your people individually, not as a team, but individuals that are part of a team. And you've got the, to treat them the way they want to be treated. And that's the thing. We, we have to find that out. And that's where it's like, oh, God, please don't tell me that I have to get to know people. <laughs> but we do. <laughs> but we do. Yeah, sadly. Um, yeah. But yeah, the great resignation, it, it always made it sound like people were just resigning and moving up into the mountains to become hermits. That's not what's going on. People are reevaluating. There's a shuffle, right? I think they've started to use the reshuffle. Yes. They're leaving this company to go do the same job at some other company. But there's mm -hmm. also the reevaluation. Is this really where I want to be for the rest of my life? Is this really the company I want to uh, be loyal to and dedicate myself to? I think a lot of people are starting to step outside. It's like I've got you know X number of years of experience. I'm an expert in this area. I want to use that knowledge and go somewhere else where they may feel trapped where they are. So it's like, no, I'm reevaluating where I'm at and I'm going to make a, a change. And I think that's exciting. I think people should because if you have the right people, as Jim Collins said, the right people in the right seat at the right time doing the right thing, you're going to have better uh, work conditions, better um, productivity in companies. I think it's a good thing. Absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned the years of experience that I think they're also talking about or thinking about the years they have left in their life. Mm -hmm. Because if anything has gotten clearer is that we just don't know when that last day is going to be. And life is too darn short to live it without joy to live it without being in a place that suits you and that you feel aligned with. 
And, and so I think that's another piece of it, Harlan, that I know that you're, you're thinking about all the time, right? The way that you live your life. I love that. I love what you're doing. And, and that's the way to do it because we just don't know if today, God forbid, is our last day. Exactly. Yeah. Why put off till tomorrow, right? Do it now. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I know there was a Gallup poll out a couple of years ago, and I don't think the numbers have changed very much, but it said that about 32% of employees are actually engaged, which is yeah. scary because that means all 67% are disengaged and a large percentage of those are actively disengaged. Walk me through that. What does that mean to be disengaged and to be actively disengaged? Yes. So there are four really kind of types of engagement. The first one is actively engaged on the left side, if you will. And on the right side, we've got actively disengaged, which you just mentioned. That's the same as toxic. These people, the toxic people, what distinguishes them from the disengaged is that the toxic folks are out to ruin people's day. They are the ones that are sneezing on people, these comments, right? And they're like little comments, they're tiny comments every day. Like, did you did you see what Harlan said today? Can you believe that he said hello to me that way? Can you, you know, it's little tiny things that starts to infiltrate people's minds. And then all of a sudden somebody feels like, oh my God, Harlan, who would, oh my, I don't wanna work with Harlan. And they've never even experienced anything directly but all of a sudden it's invaded just like a virus. It's invaded their cells, it's invaded their mind. And so that is extremely dangerous and it's extremely catchy. Uh, and, and that's why when I see that people are toxic, we've got to get rid of that toxicity. We've got to cut that out, whether it means, you know, helping that person reevaluate their, you know, their thinking and their mindset and what it's doing for them, or whether it means that now it's time to just divorce and kind of separate in a way that's a win-win for everybody. And the disengagement, which is that it's kind of like when somebody takes their physical body to work, but leaves their soul in bed. You've, you've all met, you know, we've all met somebody, right? That they're just kind of clocking in and clocking out and they're hoping you don't ask them for help. They're hoping they don't get, have to work. That, That is the disengagement. They're zombies and they're just looking at the clock. So they're not actively, um, stealing. They're not actively bringing down people, uh, but they are taking up space and that disengagement some many times turns into that toxic active disengagement. Um, So that's the difference between those two. And then with active engagement versus engagement, if people are engaged, they're meeting expectations. They're sometimes exceeding expectations, maybe many times exceeding expectations. And that's what we want. That's great. Actively engaged is these are people that feel like it's their company. They are, uh, they feel the autonomy and the ability to make change and innovate. And so that also obviously comes from the top. So if you've got actively engaged people, those are people that are okay with making mistakes. They know that they're not, there's not gonna be a repercussion, a negative thing, and that we get to fail forward. So that's what we want more of. Absolutely. So, yes. No, that's absolutely, yeah. We talk about uh, the actively engaged. Um, we all have, what we call discretionary effort, right? I learned things at Lockheed Aircraft. 
that I could be working with some other company, totally unrelated to aerospace industry, but something happens and I can draw back on that past experience, say, hey, I think I know how to fix this and I can offer that, right? We can offer that discretionary effort. A lot of employees don't, like you said, they do what's expected and that's just kind of the engaged. They're there, they're working, you know, they exceed every once in a while. You had a video on your website where you discuss the disengaged and actively disengaged. You said that if there was a piece of trash laying on the ground, an engaged employee would pick up that trash and put it in the trash bin. Yes. A disengaged employee would step right over it, walk right by it, ignore it. Yeah, it's not my job, right? I hate that phrase. It's not my job. Yes. But the actively disengaged person would either add to that or they're the ones who throw it down in the first place, right? You kind of throw something in the general direction <laughs> of the bin and it falls. And it's like, eh, somebody will take care of that. Yes. And we've all seen yeah. people like that. We've worked with people like that. Yeah. And it is catchy, isn't it? I mean, it's energy. It's yeah. the energy. And, and we're like 24-7 emitting this energy and receiving energy from others. So that's why we have to be so careful as to how we show up. Exactly. And if you see that the management just kind of lets that stuff slide, then you figure, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Heaven forbid that person somehow gets a raise or promotion. Yes. And now you've just made that part of the culture and people just throw things, uh, you know, uh, what uh, Jenga, where he just set the trash on top of the trash can <laughs> until hope it doesn't yes. fall over, right? And just let it go. Yeah. So true. So true. And they're also watching for what you tolerate mm -hmm. as a manager, right? So even if we don't promote them, which you're right, sometimes we do that. We think if we promote them, they're going to be so much better. And then and obviously it gets much worse, but right. you're, you're right. And it's that, well, if they're tolerating this behavior, what am I doing here? This right. is not a place for me. And that's why we have so many people constantly looking outside for a better opportunity because it's around the people. Exactly. Yeah. All you leaders, you get what you tolerate. Yes. So what are you tolerating? What are you accepting? Yes. Um, so 67% or so are disengaged or actively disengaged. Mm -hmm. How can leaders know whether their employees are engaged or not? What, what kind of signs can they look for? Great question. So we all have a baseline. So you and I might show up differently to work every day and be completely happy. Mine might be a quiet joy, all right? I'm not smiling a lot. I'm not doing, I'm just getting to work. I'm so happy. I'm in my space, but I'm not outwardly showing it or doing it. That might be my baseline. Your baseline might be, hey, how's it going, everybody? Hey, how are you doing, George? How are you doing? What? Right? So it's really understanding, back to understanding your people. We, we're all walking icebergs. And if we don't understand our baseline of what our behavior looks like on a normal day, then we won't be able to see if the person is starting to disengage. Because look, for you, acting like me on a normal day might be, oh my goodness, he's starting to disengage. But for me, that's not it at all. So it's understanding your people and then realizing when there's a shift, that's one of the things I always ask my, my new clients is, has this person always been this way? Or was there an inflection point, something that shifted? And where, where did that happen? What was going on there? 
because we can start to then put the story together of, of what we understand is really happening. And then of course there's the usual, right? Um, people gossiping, um, not showing up to work anymore, having all these excuses, um, their work product goes down, you know, it, and sometimes it shows up again, determining based on their baseline, um, it shows up as overworking sometimes. And actually this is not a good thing, to, again, depending on the person. So we've really got to know our people. So we know what those signs are. Yeah. And that's key, I think, is getting to know your people. Talk to them. Don't wait for an annual review. Talk to them on yes. an ongoing basis, especially if you see that inflection point. Something changes. Talk to them. How is everything going? Because one thing I don't think leaders under, understand is that, I mean, there's we're all disengaged at some point, right? Everybody has a bad day, but usually you re rebound and come back and, and you know you do your thing. The problem is if somebody stays down in that yeah. disengaged area, not only are they impacting you because they're, they're not working, they're coming in late, they're leaving early, they're taking longer lunches, they're disrupting the people around them because they're commiserating and talking to them about how bad they're, they're feeling or things are going on. They're calling their friends at other companies yes. on the cell phone. So you're, you're impacting other companies too. So that ripple effect goes out. There's a lot of impact that it has. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, the toughest thing, Harlan, what I'm seeing sometimes is that then you start to form these negative cohorts. And so you have this like mean girls club, right? And yeah. not necessarily mean girls, but you know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. like that movie. And, mm -hmm. and so they start to become one unit against a common enemy and the stories get worse and the beliefs get worse around that person. And no matter what that person does, it's always the wrong thing. And it's evidence to support their beliefs and it's evidence to support the fact that they're being mistreated, even though it is not like that at all. And so that's the biggest challenge with toxicity as well, is that you start to create these groups that you belong to because we all need a sense of belonging. Exactly. Yeah. And so what can, what can leaders do when they feel they have either a, a culture that is leaning towards toxic or they have a group of disengaged employees? What can they do to try to revive that? Yes. So the first thing is really understanding. It's it's getting curious, you know, here on my board, I have, you know, what have you got curious instead of frustrated? It's having that five-year-old curiosity and thinking, okay, their reality is completely different than mine. And there's some sort of payoff that is happening here, right? That's number one. Number two, what am I doing? What am I doing? What have I done that has created this in the first place? And that has taken off to a totally different level. Where have my behaviors maybe come across in a way that I didn't intend? Or if I intended it to come across this way, then what do I have to change? Wow. And so it's having that openness to ask yourself those questions and think, where can I get better? What can I do? And having that curiosity and ability to open your mind enough to listen to what their reality is, because that's all they have. So th that's where I would start. Wow. And again, it gets back to talk to your employees, right? Get to know them. Uh, I, I hate it when, when people say, well, 
we're coming up with our annual review because what that tells me is you're going to walk in and, and tell one of your employees, hey, you know, back in February, you did this. So you're not getting a raise. It's like February, if you had told me, I would have been able to improve this, right? You want to make sure that you're having conversations with all, all the time. Talk to them. Uh, one, of the, one of the types of courage we talk about is uh, empathetic courage, where you can set aside your emotions to make room for your employees' emotions. Ask them those open-ended questions. How are you? How's everything going? You know, how's work going? What can we do to improve the, the job you're doing, improve the work area you're in, improve the company, improve the culture? Ask those kind of open-ended questions and then listen. Take that in. You may not have to, you know, introduce every one of their ideas into the company, but listen. That's key is listening to their employees. Absolutely. That's where trust comes in. And, and if you, we don't have that trust, they have a hard time telling you how they really feel. So we've got to know where we're at and meet them where we're at. And if we've already, we're already at a place of distrust, we're never going to get that honest feedback. And they're going to be um, hmm, not defensive, but they're going to be curious about why are you all of a sudden asking about that, right? right? So it's absolutely that, Harlan. It's so important to do that from the beginning. And if we're not doing it from the beginning and we're already stuck in a hole, then it's important to meet them there, to figure out how to get them out of that hole. But we have to be outside of our own hole in order to pull them out. So, yeah. <laughs> yes, but what you're saying is absolutely true. It's right on. So let's talk a little bit about courage. Yes. Um, normally we talk about the, where did you find the courage to walk away from the comfort zone of the nine to five? You find the courage to start your own business and then the courage to get past those, those um, setbacks, the divorce, the bankruptcy, illness, death. Where did you get your courage? You could have, I mean, you worked for some pretty good companies, right? Decent jobs. Where did you find the courage to step out and create leadership I, I, and soul? Thank you for asking. You know, I found myself in a position where I loved my job. I loved what I actually did. However, I had two very toxic bosses and um, being in charge of leadership and development for you know, the enterprise and doing a lot of speaking and working with the CEO and his team and the board allowed me to be in a position where I can help leaders within those companies level up. But at the same time that I was doing that, my two bosses were trying to were doing things that were very toxic. And so they would say the right things, but then do things behind closed doors that were incredibly toxic. And um, one of them, you know, wanted to have sex with me. And my husband worked at the same company and he had access to basically making him miserable. Um, and the other one, would just find me wherever I was in the world. I mean, he wouldn't find me. He would know where I was, but he would make sure that he would be there right before I started working with the board, right before I started speaking to the executives that I had in that leadership group at the moment, where whether it was France or China or Italy, anywhere. And he would always tell me things like, you bring zero value. You are nothing. I don't know why 
you're um, working here. I don't know why the CEO wants you to work with the board. Um, I should be working with them. Uh, and, you know, and nobody will believe you, you know, if, if you um, tell them that we're even having these conversations. At one point, he said that to me. Um, and so I started to feel like a fraud because here I am helping people <laughs> be their best leaders. And then I was being talked to this way. And this man was, you know, I, I'm, I'm only five, four, and that's on a good day. This man <laughs> was, you know, six, four, six, five. I don't know. At, at some point you're just really tall to me. Yeah. Um, and he would just, you know, he would do this to me all the time. And after two years of taking it, I realized I couldn't live in a space where I felt like a fraud and I had to kind of do what I'm telling everyone else to do. And so um, I got really sick for the, for two weeks where I just, every time I heard his voice, every time I saw his name, I would run to the bathroom and throw up and I lost about 15 pounds in two weeks. Wow. Um, and, and it was really horrible. And, um, and I remember calling my husband crying many times from Italy, from France and these beautiful places that I would go every year to take a new leadership team. And he would say, Carol, it's job, just do your job. And then just, you know, like, let it be and just show up to work. And cause he's an engineer, he's very practical. He yeah. doesn't, you know, um, but my job was 24 seven when I was traveling. And so finally I decided that I was going to um, handle it. And I started asking, uh, I started asking him, well, you know, all these things that you say about me, what are three things that I'm doing well? And he did not like that at all. And mm -hmm. um, he just kept, you know, berating me and berating me. But when I kept asking him that and training him that I would ask him that, every time he would say terrible things to me, uh, he stopped doing it. Um, and so I just, you know, at that point, I kind of had the courage to do what I was telling everybody else to do and, and, and helping everybody else do it. Uh, and, and then I decided that I needed to, to do this uh, as part of my life mission to help people in that situation where they feel that they're, they like their job, but yeah. the people that are making it miserable for them and cutting them down to size and, you know, just hammering away at that self-esteem yeah. and, and all of, it's just not a way to live. Um, so that's why I decided that um, I was going to start my own company. And I was actually in France, my dad had passed away. And, um, and I was asking my dad, uh, you know, give me some guidance. I was walking in the streets of Paris and I need to know what to call my company because for some reason in my mind, that's the first step. <laughs> so I actually came across this necklace mm. right that very day. And, um, and the, the phrase leadership and soul just came into my mind. And, and it's exactly what I wanted to do. It's helping people, helping leaders bring their spiritual part, their purpose, their mission, their good part of the, you know, yeah. um, with them along with their physical body to work, not leaving their spiritual side and their purpose. And that's what I mean by spiritual side is sure. their purpose, right? Yeah. Um, their kindness, their courage to be themselves, to bring them with them every day. And I felt that leadership and soul encompassed that. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. So were there other entrepreneurs in your family? Did you learn entrepreneurship from them? So my dad uh, would actually, he was born in Iraq 
and he had to leave. And he started in India. He would he would set up Texaco gas stations, make them profitable, and then move to a different country. So he lived in Australia and England and all of these wow. other places in Mexico. Um, and yes, so he was always an entrepreneur. And, uh, and I always wanted to be like him. In fact, I, I got my visa and my ticket to go to Australia. And I was going to go there without knowing anyone just to see what I was made of, to see if I could do what my dad did. And then I met my husband and I never did go um, up until recently with my sister. So yes, yes, we're my dad, I think mostly. Good deal. That's awesome. And how many people do you have working for you right now? Right now, I'm actually expanding my team. And Excellent. right now it's my executive assistant who's fabulous. Uh, her name's Maggie. And she makes the world go round. <laughs> She's wonderful. Um, and yes, I'm I'm expanding my team. Hopefully this year, uh, with other people that can bring the same level of um, fulfillment that I can, and do the nice. academies and and coaching as well. Nice, very cool. But in your other jobs, you had people reporting to you, right? Yes, yes, all of them. <laughs> so if I was to bump into any one of these people on the street, yeah, and ask them what kind of leader you are, hmm. what would they tell me? What kind of leader are you? I think the first thing that would come out of their mouth is um, she puts us ahead of everything. So they were there. They were always more important than anything else. Um, if they had to go to their child's performance, if they had to go to the doctor, if they had, everything else could wait because I wasn't a brain surgeon. I've never been um, or a, a, you know, a doctor that is life or death or has life or death situations and everyone can wait, but family, is always important. Um, those are the people that, you know, we need to care for and, and love. And so I think the first thing would be that, that it would be caring and that I cared about them over everything else. Nice. Yeah. Family comes first. Yeah. And I've read stories where somebody will say, you know, I've got an issue with my family, somebody in the family is sick. And you hear companies that say, just drop everything and go, we'll cover. Right. And I love yeah. that kind of stuff. Well, my wife and I worked for a consulting company years ago. One of the partners called her up and said, um, you know, are, are you busy? And she said, well, yeah, a little bit I am. And he goes, oh, that's right. You're getting married soon, aren't you? And she goes, yeah, today, as a matter of fact. Oh. He goes, oh, uh, well, congratulations. Do you think you could have that proposal to me this evening at such and such? No. No. Yes. <laughs> and he was dead serious. She I hung up it. on him. She just hung up on him. It's like, her. <laughs> because there are, yeah, there are companies that it's just, you know, you're just a... Uh, a resource. Yes. And I got to get as much out of you as I possibly can. And other companies say, no, family first, take care of your family, take care of yourself, come back to us yeah. when you're whole, you know? Yes. And selfishly, right? If you yeah. conspire for them, if you're there for them and you help them with their family, they're going to give you everything they've got. And, you know, that discretional time that they have, yeah. they're going to give it to you. So it, it's not, be, you're not doing it because of that, but that's a result of that. Absolutely. Well, and you build that culture and you tell other people what that culture is like to work in. It's like, man, I wish I could work there. Yes. That's what you want, right? Yes. Right now, a lot of companies are struggling to attract and hire and retain great employees. It has nothing to do with the ad you're running. It has nothing to do with Indeed and all the algorithms and everything. It's probably you or your culture so, is keeping yes. those employees away. So true. So mm -hmm. true. Scary. Yeah. yeah. So, What's next for you? 
I mean, you say you've never been a surgeon. I mean, you, you could, <laughs> there's plenty of time. You could do that, right? If you wanted to. Yes. Um, you'd have to get a little step stool to stand up since you're only. <laughs> but you could. So what else? What else is, I mean, you're, you're a keynote speaker. You've done all this stuff. What's next for you? What's next is um, certifying other people to do what I do so that we can make more of an impact and so that we can get that toxicity out of the workplace faster because uh, there's only so much of me that I can do. And so what's next is getting other people certified to do that as well. Nice. So that's what I'm working on. Very cool. Excellent. Is that program yeah. available now or in the works? It will be very soon. Okay. Very yes. Cool. Yes. That is awesome. <laughs> this has been a lot of fun. I really, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for coming on the program. If people want to get in touch with you and learn more about your lion taming experience, <laughs> how can they do that? What's your website? Yes. The website is leadership, the letter N and the word soul, S-O-U-L.com or executive lion tamer.com. Either Excellent. one will get you to the, to the same website. Um, depends cool. on what your needs are, but I speak to both, right? Great leaders that need to level up or people that need to extract the toxicity. So either way works, or they can email me at carol at executive lion tamer.com. Excellent. Very yeah. cool. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love Thank it. You. All right. I will make sure that I have those links. Um, in the show notes so people know how to get in touch with you and stuff. Thank you, love. Uh, and I hope they do. I really hope they do because this toxicity stuff has to end. You know, there's just, yes. like you said, life is too short. Don't work in a toxic environment. Find your way out of there somehow. If you are the leader in a toxic environment, figure out what to do to fix that. Yes, please. For everybody's sake. And really Absolutely. the whole universe's sake. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. And they can also call me, Harlan. I, I didn't mention that, but they can call the um, office line, 951-888-5857, or you can call me directly. Everything's on the website. Excellent. Very cool. All right. Thank Thanks again for being on the program. Really appreciate your time. Thank Listeners, you. hope you guys were taking a lot of good notes, a lot of good takeaways from here. Definitely check out uh, either of those websites, right? Leadershipandsoul.com or executivelyontamer.com. Yes. Very cool. All right. And share this episode with your family, friends, and colleagues. Stick around because there's always more coming. That's it for me, Coach Harlan saying so long for now. Bye.